Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and banter. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. feel it's very fascinating the human behavior and why things happen and like how the normal and the happy things and the positive things end up going dark but also in those dark moments how do we find the light great to be back with you here as always and welcome back to another action-packed episode of humans of purpose First off, a big thanks to our major sponsor, Neon Treehouse. They are doing a great job on all our social media work and making us look far better than I ever could by myself. This week, I'm thrilled to bring you my conversation with Stephanie Gajar. Stephanie is a director and dramaturge, as well as a producer at the State Library of Victoria. Stephanie grew up in Beirut, Lebanon, where she discovered a love of the creative arts and has spent many years developing her education, skills and experience as a dramaturge, which I learned can comprise a range of things and in Stephanie's case, writing, producing and often acting in amazing works studying the darker side of the human condition. I loved spending time with Stephanie and learning from her very different experiences and perspectives, gained from her vast travel, time in the arts, and time collaborating with fascinating people to produce world-class productions. She's a different sort of guest who I'm grateful to for making my brain think and work differently in an area I was thrilled to learn more about. A reminder that if you'd like to enjoy the podcast earlier than everyone else on a private dedicated feed without the annoying ads with full transcripts, a personal audio note from me and a concierge service to connect you to our wonderful guests, you can become a Humans of Purpose Gold member for the cost of a coffee each month. Check out the link in our show notes to sign up today. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Stephanie as much as I did. What a pleasure to have Steph with me this morning at the Commons. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here, Mike. I'm so happy to be with you. Uh, We've had a bit to do with each other through the Start Space program last year, but then when I looked into all the other amazing work you were doing uh, as a dramaturge, which we'll get into also, I just thought, here's a person who is doing some amazing things and will have a lot to say. So welcome. No pressure. Oh, thanks, Mike. (laughs) Didn't feel it at all. (laughs) So um, as we will often do in Humans of Purpose land, can you just tell me a little about a bit about your early journey into what you do today and sort of growing up, um, inspirations, how you found your way into dramaturge, what it means, um, maybe after, and then, you know, also the startup space in Melbourne more generally. Ooh, that's a... You can start however you like. That's a lot there. Great. Yeah, I know. I was just going back and I'm like, how far back do I go? We try and say like not maybe in utero, so maybe after you were born is good. Great. Yeah. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Early memories. I think, I don't know. I grew up in Lebanon and that's how I always start. It's like I grew up in a different culture house. So my dad's Lebanese. My mom is half Lebanese, but she grew up in Australia. So that kind of bicultural existence always was in my, in my brain and my upbringing. And, um, mom, Also, like, media and growing up and seeing 
like what my mom watched on TV and the storytelling that she was she liked and was influenced by and the storytelling that dad did was very different as well. So I think storytelling was always like a big element in my life. Um, Your parents were both storytellers? They were both storytellers. Oh, wow. My dad like thrived on being a visual storyteller as well. So even growing up, and I had nieces and nephews at a young age. So, because I'm the youngest in my family. So oh, it's kind of, I'm the baby. <laughs> but it's kind of like the more exaggerated and big it was and like really ingrained in your brain, the the more it kind of gave him the confidence of like that father figure and that even grandfather figure. And my mom, even though it was of, on a gentler side, there was a lot of like, books and it's more subtle. So books and films and all of that kind of culture came through from more Western influenced um, storytelling. So those kind of two versions I grew up with and my family is also quite religious. So that also the, the, like the, the storytelling element that comes from that, that in a way you're told that it's the truth and then you kind of grow up and start understanding the different versions that could exist and the different interpretations. And I think that's where I started going into journalism at the start and digital media and public relations. So all of those kind of fell through. And then I did theater and making theater and film. And that's where I was started going into, oh, there are different structures and each interpretation actually gives a new different... Each structure gives a new interpretation towards what the story is. And then I discovered that's what a dramaturg- dramaturgy is. Yeah. Okay. So let's get onto that because yeah. when I when I looked up um, what you were doing, um, I'm familiar with the the term producer, director, yeah. dramaturge. I'm not. Uh, dramaturge, eh? Dra- dramaturge. 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 So, so dramaturge or dramaturg. What is it? So a dramaturg, the dramaturgy... I think I was reading someone write, what is dramaturgy? And she had been at the time for 20 years working as a dramaturg and she couldn't coin down (laughs) what it was. And that was 20 years ago. So maybe to today, she hasn't coined it down yet. You could help her and all others in that situation. Maybe, but I'm also trying to figure it out as well because they're like, it kind of encapsulates a whole lot so it kind of is, I thought of it for a time as the art of storytelling mm. and the logic and the world you build to kind of make the story sound. That's a great explanation. Amazing. Yeah. And then I thought maybe I it's the that. science as well, you know? Yeah, maybe it is. A, so, I mean, if you're talking about logic and aspects of structures and how they yeah. all fit together to produce something great, um, I always think most disciplines are, are a unique blend of art and science. Yeah. So maybe there's something to that as well. Exactly. And that's what we're... I, it started out as, like, you discuss the story. It, when I started studying it, we were working a lot with new writing. So the writers were in the room with us, and they're writing a new play. So they need someone to, like, for instance, do the research for them and try to make things like, are they logically sound? Do they ring true? Um, are the decisions we're making, like, valid and actually can make sense? So this is happening at the same time while it's being written? Yes. Oh, wow, that's very different. So there, that's one version of dramaturgy. Yeah. And then there's when they want to put it as a production dramaturgy, okay, so how do we translate it from text to stage? 
And that's one form of... And so that would be like the equivalent of um, turning a screenplay into a script like screenwriting. Yeah. The, the latter. Yeah. So have you done both modes? I've done for screenwriting. Um, that's also interesting because you're taking, in fact, like the edits and the cuts and the or like the order of the scenes, which also happens in some um, plays as well. Um, but for film, it was a lot of, okay, does this character need to appear in this scene? Do we move to the other scene? How fast or, or slow is the camera movement going to be here as well when you're writing and how you're picturing it? But I've also worked with director writers, so they're also in those kind of like dual brain kind of um, thinking when they're writing the script. But yeah, so it kind of, that's when you have a script. Sometimes you don't have a script and you're in the room going, okay, you're, you guys want to make something. Every decision you're making, we put, we put them in the pool and go, okay, which one? It's kind of like each decision takes you in a different consequence. And what are you trying to say with that work? Yeah, that, so. that's sounding to me more scientific than art, actually. Great. Because you're dealing with <laughs> cause and effect chains and exactly. things like that. So that's super interesting. So one of the themes that you talk about really enjoying is sort of delving into the human conditions to explore the individual in deeply personal situations where familiar emotions darken and veer towards the tragic. How, like, how dark and nebulous. And you're dressed in all black today. So take, take <laughs> me in. How did you find that to be your kind of home space? Um, I don't know. I was having a conversation the other day about like... You, you don't strike me as like a broody, dark person, which is why oh, I, I found that interesting. Great. I'm glad. Yeah. You don't come across that way, but I don't know, maybe dramaturgists who do that often don't come across that way. I was just sort of was yeah. a bit interested by that. I think it's it's also about like not just the dramaturgy, but also like the stories that I like to delve in. Sure. So even directing or when I was an actor, I remember the director I used to work with, he's like, tu es une actrice tragédienne, you're a tragic actor. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I get that vibe. Okay. That can be interpreted so many ways. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> you specialize in portraying the darkness of the human experience. Yeah, I think so. I, I feel it's very fascinating, the human behavior and why things happen in like how the normal and the happy things and the positive things end up going dark, but also in those dark moments, how do we find the light? I love that. So, and I think that's one of my works um, that I was working on after going like August 4th explosion that happened in the port of Beirut mm. and like flattened down most of the city. I was here at the time, but one of my works was like, let's set it in a wedding. Yeah. And I want it to be a wedding party but then eventually the essence of my question and the hype, like the, the thesis I was bringing into that work was how do we survive despite the tragic things that were happening around us? Yeah. Like but, also how do you have a wedding in the midst of so much um, violence and, yes. you know, disaster? Yes. And that was the thing that I really like was witnessing in the news and hearing stories and going people were throwing weddings. Yeah. Or the people who had passed. Oh, wow. So it was very... See, I'm going tragic right now. Well, <laughs> look, I mean, this is a... Life is life, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it can't all be rosy all the time. Yeah. Um, and I think the less we cover things like the dark um, experiences in life, the less um, true we are being about what it is to be a human. Yeah. So I think that's... It's my investigation. Yep. I think through the art that I want to look into is 
And you talked a little bit about sort of that, you know, finding the light in, in experiences or coming towards light at the end of um, yeah. darkness. I mean, what, what have you learned through your the work about that the nature of the human condition and maybe, you know, human resilience, uh, yeah. the human mind, how people behave? I think it's the survival instinct that kicks in and the exhaustion that comes from being resilient mm. that kind of gets you to a point where it's not black or white, but at the same time, it's kind of how do we keep on living? Mm. And that's where the light needs to inevitably come out or it's going to be that dark state that eventually will not exist around life anymore. Mm. And that's where I think that kind of fight that comes, that kicks in, that needs to bring out the light. And yeah, I, I still, it's it's kind of an ongoing investigation as of well. Of course, yeah, I'm, I'm sure like this, and this yeah. might be something that you kind of ponder often, yeah. but, you know, um, life being the journey that it is in career, so you, you're not going to have an answer maybe ever. Mm, I know. It's an exploration, right? And I think that's why theatre and storytelling really absorbed me in the first place. Yeah. It's kind of because it's an open-ended question. How do you, how does, how do projects come to you and how do you decide on what you're going to do? Oh, that's a good one. Um, projects, it varies. Sometimes I apply for things. Other times I think my cultural background plays into effect or not specifically that I'm from the Middle East, but that I'm more, from more than one culture. And I migrated here and I can understand the different kind of like movement and migration and existing as a other in um, Australia. I think that's most where most of my work has come from. Um, it's an incredible point of difference really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a global experience as well, doing productions all over the world. Yeah, that's another one that kind of, I think after coming back from New York, even like first that kind of pushed it, pushed me more towards like the multicultural work. Um, the first time I started working in Melbourne was actually I was sitting with a with my friend who's a writer, and they kind of give, put us in this kind of like collaborative classrooms so that we get to network and meet people and actually see who we click with artistically. And I clicked with a playwright at the time who was dealing with, her work was dealing with mental health. And it was like just, hey, let's try it out, and became like a long collaboration of, oh, we can actually work together. And this is work that we want to put on and we're both intrigued with, and that's where the whole idea of the normal going to the tragic came from. And I remember when I was in New York once and my friend, he's a freelancer, and he said, there are three things, three questions you should ask yourself when accepting a project. Um, who are the people you're going to be working with? Is the project interesting to you? And is, does it have good money? If it answers two of those three questions as like something, yes, you, you, are, you want to do and you're involved with, you go for the project. Um, Great criteria. Yeah. I, I would it's almost say like that's a really good decision-making algorithm for yeah. <laughs> a lot of work opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically – and it, 
teaches you how to say no because sometimes it's hard to say no with a lot of work that's coming through and sometimes it dries up a little bit and you're like, no, maybe I should do the work. But then again, you're also dramaturging your repertoire in a way. (laughs) (laughs) So how many languages do you speak? I speak English and Arabic fluently. Mm-hmm. Um, and your French seems pretty good. Uh, French, I gr- see Lebanon is a French colony. Yep. It was. And um, you have in Lebanon either English schools or French schools as like the second language or sometimes it's the first language. Yep. So Beirut is very French oriented. So you kind of learn it through practice. But because mom was a, like is English focused, we went to an English speaking school. Sure. Um, so French was the second language after Arabic and English. I put Arabic and English in the same kind of bubble. Um, so can you, can you, can you have a conversation well in French? After living for seven years in Australia, I've, I'm losing the you language. Lose it. You lose it, don't yeah. you? I mean, because I've had the same experience as well about losing language. If you don't practice it often, yeah. Do you speak goes. more than one language? I speak some French and some Hebrew, but both really? quite poorly. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I get confused between the two of them because mm-hmm. it's just sort of you know, do you get that? That yeah. confusion sometimes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And I need to, do you feel like you need to switch on your brain? Yes. It's very hard work. a very different person? Totally. Yeah. But if you go there, right, if I'm sitting oh, yeah. um, in Tel Aviv or um, Paris, uh, it won't take me too long to kind of just get back into it. Yeah. And I might make some giant mistakes yeah. and order a, a huge turkey rather than a croissant, <laughs> uh, but I'll have a lot of fun and they'll get me and yeah. that's endearing for some that, people. So. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's that's the thing. And like I feel if I'm back in Lebanon and I'm with my French-speaking friends, it just switches on. They laugh at me a little bit, but I'm yeah. like, it's a safe space. It's fine. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. Like I, I lived in Tel Aviv for six months and I made these friends there and um, they, I came with a very basic Hebrew, like almost none. And by the end of it, just, I tried to go to school there to learn how to speak the language. Complete failure. I, oh. I'm, but I'm not a conventional learner, so that's probably my fault as well. Yeah. So I just thought, why don't I just spend, why don't I make friends and spend a lot of time with them and see how that goes? And so made friends with three or four guys uh, and girls and just hung around with them a lot. Yeah. And I think I just, through listening and knowing some of the basics, was able to garble my way through six months of study there, which is good. Um, yeah, good. <laughs> and are you a sonic learner? I, I'm a very oral person. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I'm a podcaster, so that's probably obvious. But um, I get, I learn and understand things through talking. Ah, uh, um, yeah. So rather than necessarily reading or, yeah. you know, um, normal systems. So comprehension's pretty good. And like, um, for example, um you know, audio books have become a big part of uh, my learning as well. Yeah, okay. So I, I just prefer for me to learn things. I like I like hearing it. Yeah. And you know, these days audio books are often read by the authors. So oh. it's like the lazy person's dream. Yeah. To hear an author read to you their book. It's like being but, a king yeah. in France in the sixteen hundreds or something, you exactly. know? Exactly. <laughs> and you're like getting the intention that they intended by writing the yeah, book. Yeah, exactly. You can hear what they meant through yeah. their tone, emotion, voice. and Yeah. So all that stuff matters, I think, and is important. Yeah. Do you spend time reading a lot of scripts and that kind of thing to decide yeah. what you're going to do? Yeah. Is it fun? What's it like to read a script a lot? Um, depends on the script. Yeah. Depends whether you maybe click early. Yeah. Or, yeah. 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 I think if I find myself losing interest at the very early stages or it's becoming ret- repetitive, and there's a lot of work to be done. I'm like, do I want the challenge? Do I have the ch- time to give this script the attention that it needs? Um, but at the same time, there are a lot of scripts that just like 
grab hold of me and I can't let them go until it's all like done. And then it gets me like, it gets my brain juices just going. And I start putting them on the wall, like each paper and cutting each scene out and rearranging. And that's when I know it's a good script that I need to like investigate. So you feel it. It goes from intellectual to kind of body sensation or mood. Yes. Have you ever had a situation where you think, um, oh, I love this script, but I don't really like the person who wrote it? Or, or vice versa. Like mm. I really like the person who wrote this and mm. I don't know how to convey this, but I'm not hot on the script. Like how do you navigate those situations? Ooh, I'm still learning. Yeah. Because um, I imagine a bit, fair bit of sensitivity is yeah. sort of required. Yeah, a lot of it. And kind of going not just like how do I navigate it with them, but how to find a solution for them. Mm. Maybe I'm not the right person for the project but I have another person in mind that might actually be better. And then I can, because I have, I can wear many hats in a production. Maybe I can just become a different person that they, I, they need and our relationship, but also like on the long run, I just go, do I want to maintain a relationship with this person that is, you know, fruitful for the future? Cause if I actually work on this from on, on this project, from the role that they want me to, we might not have a long-lasting relationship afterwards. Yes, yes. So, I mean, as with a lot of my belief, relationships are always the most important thing. Mm. So, you yeah. know, you do what you do to try and preserve them and if it requires saying no to a project um, yeah. because you think you might damage the relationship, exactly. it might sometimes be the safe way to go. Exactly. Yeah. So that's my, yeah, focus as well. And what I'm, do you, what's it like being in Melbourne? I mean, you've lived sort of all over the world and you've, done some amazing yeah. things what do you what are your perceptions of melbourne as a place to live and and be oh you're putting me on the spot here um yeah i'm not trying to set you up to say melbourne's awesome <laughs> I, I don't care at all I'm, I'm just curious um i love asking people who aren't like you know who haven't grown up here yeah fully what melbourne's like because yeah. that's my only life experience so yeah i think it's like when my my parents because i moved here with my parents yeah and when they first said they're coming to Australia, I think that the first thing in my brain was, oh, my goodness, it's far away from everything. <laughs> yeah, it's so far. And I had all these plans. Like I was going to go to Europe and work from Europe. And then it was – and also like because my – the 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 schools of thought that I related to are European. Yes. So I came here and it was a bit like – Oof, okay. Like not a cultural shock at all. Yep. It was more of I need to keep myself busy. Yeah, totally. It's a bit too slow. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely like not like a major European city, right? No. No. But even like the everything's too far and you need more time to put things together and everyone's so patient. And slow, and that rigor is lost sometimes, and I'm just like, ah, oh, I need people to wake up, get moving, people, get moving. Yeah, let's make some stuff happen. Yeah, so I think that's my main struggle with with Melbourne as a living city. Um, yes, as well, and I think that's why I ha- I had to have a break. Like I moved to Sydney at first, and then I came to um, Victorian College of the Arts in 2016. Mm-hmm. Did that year that it was amazing. It was I got to meet a lot of people, but they were all theater oriented because I was studying at the same time. Yeah. And then 2017, I started making work, but I, but I still felt like it was a bit too slow. And I found out that I could have work experience abroad, 
And I just booked that ticket, traveled, and was just like, there was this whole kind of energy that came through me when I moved to the States. Also, I'm going to have to say New York because a lot of people were like, have you been to the States other where, other, like other places? Yes. And I'm like, not yet. They're like, okay, so you haven't visited the States. I'm like, yes, cool. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you do get that a bit that New York and LA in, in some yeah. circles not really considered America. No, yeah. no, it's not. It's sort of like should just be their own separate province almost. They, they should. Mm. Yeah, because I went and started visiting other places. I'm like, oh, okay, no, that's very different. But New York was like, for, I went from, say, Melbourne was 20%. New York was at going at 200% and it was just go, yeah. go, 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 yep. go. Yep. But that clutter was needed, especially when I was trying to like figure out the kind of work I want to do and the voice I wanted to create. Yep. That clutter kind of helped with crystallizing Yep. what I liked and what I didn't like. Rap- rapid feedback mechanisms, right? Yes. Yep. That was, it was really helpful. And then I came back with all that energy, 2019, 2020 hit, but also every writer like in your last episode, they love lockdowns because they were writing. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and, and everyone was writing. So my dramaturgy practice came back in full blow Yeah, during COVID. That's fascinating because, you know, like I've, I've heard two perspectives. One from a comedian was that um, during COVID, it's impossible to write because nothing's happening. So the, um, the creative juices are not flowing. Yeah. But it seems like the more universally held perspective amongst writers and creatives is that you've got time that you never had before to actually sit down and just write. Yeah. It was like a two-year residency. Yeah. Yeah. So you got a lot done? I got a lot done. Yeah. Um, my room became my studio and I was living near the water at the time. So it was great because like it opens your horizons a little bit and then you come back and you have to like focus and work on scripts. But it was it was a busy time for writing. And then lockdown release was released and everyone wanted to put on the works that they'd written. So it's still in that busy flow of yeah. work that's happening. So how do you balance all of that with um, your, your work at the State Library as well? Talk, talk a bit about your role there and also how you balance that with your dramaturge activities. Yeah, so I think the reason I, I went for, I wanted some stability and some actual like income that yep. was coming in. Yep. And I thought that role, and it's because my drama... It's a producer role? Or? It's a producer yep. role for events and... It kind of fit with the dramaturgical aspect of the audience experience. Yep. And my work in theater was moving towards the immersive as well and the participatory from audiences. So I was like, okay, that actually is a great like <laughs> research phase for me to wow. kind of go and test on the floor. How yeah. experimental. Um, but also giving of stability. Yeah, I know. And it was it was just like the perfect thing to do, but at the same time. Working full-time just meant I didn't have time for my theater anymore. So, and it kept extending and my contract kept extending and I'm like, okay, I'm, I need to go back to part-time because that was the initial contract, mm. part-time. Mm. And by the end of the year, they asked if I wanted to extend again. I'm like, I need to go back to part-time to actually rethink how I'm going to act, exist, do my own thing that a lot of projects had started, but they were, they're still in motion and still get that stability that, you know, there is a constant income coming in. Um, and that's when you contacted me, Mike. <laughs> and I got extent- existential about my answers. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. But at the moment, it's, it's working out great because I have like half of the week. And then the other half is actually like I have meetings set so I can, I'm disciplined enough and 
got my like my agendas, my all the like the freelance applications are back online and it's kind of yeah, getting that kind of in rhythm back into it. So what are your other few days? Like are you do you work from SLV, that space, or from home or I work from home. Yep. And as of last week, I'm back in the in the rehearsal rehearsal room. Oh, fantastic! So is that's that, is that awesome. It's awesome. It's yeah. also long time coming because it's a project that was meant to come up in 2020. Uh, can you talk about the project at all? Yeah, so it's um, it's called "When the Rain Stops Falling," um, written by an Australian playwright, Andrew Bavell, and Iron Lung Theatre are putting it on at Theatre Works in a few weeks, in actually a month. Um, Will you be performing as well? Uh, no, I'm, I'm backstage, so associate director and stage manager for the rehearsal period. Um, but that one, basically it's a two and a half hour play that's pretty much vignettes from different time frames and it tackles intergenerational trauma with climate change. Oh, nice darkness. Uh, it's, nice it's, darkness. It, it is really good. Like two hours and a half pass, but you can't feel them passing because they're short scenes that you need to sit there and put them together, pieces of the puzzle together to kind of make out what the story is. I like that. That's much better than a three-hour film about how we're all going to die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is there some light in this one at the end of the tunnel? Um, yes, because the rain eventually does stop falling. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Well tied together there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so you do a bit of acting as well and sometimes you'll find yourself in the crowd doing interesting things in New York. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> that was interesting because I was, in order to survive in New York, I picked up some tech work at theatres and it was just like out of conversation. I was um, helping out. So it started a lot with helping out. And then someone, she's a Peruvian lighting designer and she's um, like incredibly open and strong and just like infectious with her good energy. And um, she was saying something on the lighting panel, working it out. I'm like, oh, wait, can I see what you're doing? And I go up and I hide behind there. And at the time, the rehearsal company comes in and they're starting to rehearse and she's plotting the lighting um, rig and everything. And, and then... The actor, they're doing Medea, an adaptation of Medea. Oh, yep. And the actor, um, she's quite mature, but in her 20s lived in Egypt. And at a point, she goes, okay, they're trying to figure out how she's, like, what happens when um, Medea killed her children. And she goes like, oh, what is that thing that they do, you know, like in the Middle East during a wedding? And I don't know. It's like a knee-jerk reaction, I just start ululating from the booth. <laughs> and everyone goes like, whoa, what was that? <laughs> and she goes, that's it. Can you do a mini example? Oh, hello. <laughs> it's just, really loud. It's okay. I'm going to bring some water. We'll audio adjust. Just so right. people know what that term means because I think it's very important to hear what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. I learned that when I was seven because that was when my sister got married, guys. <laughs> So that's the one. So good. So good. Great. <laughs> so you just busted that out? I busted it out in the theater 
And they were like, you're going to go Full in the audience belting. and do that. So you had to sit in the audience then and do that for the I, play. Yes. So there was a development and they were like, we're going to, you're going to choose wherever you want to sit in the audience that night. <laughs> and at that moment where it's like, it was all like projections as well. So she kills her children and then this ululation happens and the projections of fire and doom happen on set. Isn't that a lot of pressure for one person to ululate? Um, like, because don't you, isn't it normally a lot of people doing it? Is, it is a lot of so people. So there's a lot of pressure on you to get the ululation right. Yes. Um, and I got some notes one night that it was very controlled. There's <laughs> <laughs> not a passion in this ululation. Yes, there's no passion. You were actually calculating how to ululate. I'm like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> too scientific. Too, too scientific and uh, calculated this approach to yeah. ululation. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. So you talked a little bit before about um, like audience experience, like, and yeah. I just want to come back to that and just sort of wonder for you, how do you know you've done a good job? Like, what are you looking for from audience reactions, both in rehearsals and sort of when the when the rubber mm-hmm. hits the road? I think first impression when they walk in the door. Um, so, so are they like excited to be there and excited, or yeah. whatever the intention you had from that mm-hmm. first reaction to be, if it hits or not? And usually, I like you can read, or if they're t- like they pause for a moment. I remember the last Start Space event. Because it was mostly Start Space members going in and they have never seen the space with like lighting and different, like one person said, oh, wow. And I'm like, okay, great hit. That's a, that's a good first impression. Um, and it's kind of like you're listening, you're among them. Um, are they, if there's an intention, like you want them to go in a specific place and they follow that, the guidance you give them? And how much they go or like they kind of think about it or not. Do they interact with it? Do they take the direction on board or not? That's also kind of um, a good indication with my... So a lot of times with a theater specifically, if it's immersive, I always have a creative development beforehand with a test audience and get feedback from them. That's like a focus group for a movie or something. Focus, yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, so for instance, the wedding, um, the immersive wedding Lebanese party that we're throwing, um, we did a creative development for it and it was a focus group from like friends, people from the community, um, people from, I worked with and my professors and mentors came along and two different nights, two different trial, try like trials. What's it called? Um, rehearsals. Yes. Try a trial and error. Yep. That's the one. Um, and kind of changed some, some things between the nights. So, or things I wanted to test out, like, what if we go this way? And then the second night was, was what if we tweak those? What kind of effect does it have? Um, so we worked through those. And then I had a conversation with each person. And you kind of choose what you want to take on board and what doesn't work for you. And what you're trying to say and whatnot. But you don't you ask those open-ended questions, those neutral questions mm-hmm. um, to figure out what they thought in the moment and after the moment. Because those like initial reactions are as important as you've had time to think about it and the long-term effect that the show has on you as well. That's really cool. Yeah. And so when you're thinking about themes that you're interested in or maybe interested in for future. Yeah. 
I know you like the dark stuff. What's on you? I mean, there's it's it's a tough world we're living in right now. Yeah. What are the things? I mean, you talked about climate change. A lot of people are anxious about climate. Yeah. What else is on your mind, or things that you think you'd be interested in exploring thematically? Mental health, you also mentioned as yes. well. I think you've hit two of the major yeah. anxieties in society yeah. at the moment. I think the one that I'm tackling at the moment is also like the sociopolitical effect of the Middle East. Yes. Um, Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah. So with Zafi, the the wedding, um, it's it's based off of the whole kind of resilience that happened. I mean, now I feel like it's ever changing because the economy is also affecting people in whole different ways in Lebanon at the moment. Um, but that kind of 2019 happened, economic crisis happened, the riots, the protests, and then they were partying at night and then they wake up at the same venue and then they keep going and they're resilient and then they grew tired and then the explosion happened and how they reacted with that. So it's kind of like a lot of politics and how it affects the people living in it. I don't know if I'm saying it the way it's kind of like still formulating in my brain. Oh, they, no, I think I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, and it's, I want to investigate it, but at the same time moving forward and going, how much am I still in touch with that? Yep. Because I've been here for a while. Do you have a lot of family over there? I still have siblings. And do you get to go back or is it complicated to go back? I got, went back in 2020. Um, just before COVID hit, but then I haven't been back since. And do you miss it? Not really. Fair, fair. Um, I miss the people, I miss the memories, but I know if I go there, it's not going to be the same. Yep. And having lost my father throughout that period, it's kind of like I'm going back to memories that I'm... I'm sorry to hear that. Um, thank you, but it's also like part of life and... There's some things you need to also face before, and that's where my, like, how personal is my art going to be and all of those kind of things. So those kind of, like, the umbrella, that kind of, do I want to go back or not? Is that a personal tension for you? Like, how personal you decide to make your art? I think so. And it's also how much do I want to put out there? Because it's like investing yourself in something that becomes quite public. Yeah, in a project. Yeah. And maybe there are things that you do want to explore, but it might become a lot more emotionally yeah. and physically draining because yeah. you're touching things that are really close to you and maybe saddening. There's a lot of emotions yeah. that come up. Yeah. And I think for me, those are the most like worthwhile projects that I've worked on or the ones I personally connected with. Yep. Um, I think that's the like – I remember I was talking to a lighting designer. We were sitting on opening night in the audience and goes, here we go. I get to put myself on a plate in front of everyone. (laughs) And I'm like, fair. As an artist, you're kind of constantly going into that kind of mental frame of I'm putting whatever it is, even if it's not blatantly obvious, it's still part of your decision making and what what you're invested in is being put in front of an audience for critiquing and judging and doing all those things. But at the same time, if they're worthwhile for you or the process was good enough for you, then that's what matters. How do you draw creative inspiration on a sort of daily, weekly, monthly basis? Are you somebody who 
gets inspiration from books, from movies, from conversations with people, from walking in nature? Mm. Do you go inside? Do you seek outside? Conversations um, a lot of times, especially when... Friends, mentors, friends, relatives. Friends mostly because they kind of, it's not just the small talk, it's the deeper conversations yep. that you need to unravel and go through. You need to be able to go deep. Yep. Yeah. Um, museums. Mm-hmm. If it's an artist that I really appreciate their work, so visuals um, or fashion sometimes, mm-hmm. Um documentaries. It's really cool because you're listing things, none of which I listed, which is just like awesome. I love documentaries too. Yeah. And fashion, but I just, I would never have thought to put those out there. That's cool. Yeah. Um, What would inspire, What? how do you find inspiration? Um, This a lot. Yeah. So not just this podcast, but, you know, doing, I mean, part of the reason I do this podcast is because um, it's very good um, for me creatively yeah. um, to have conversations that I wouldn't otherwise have. So the reason I started doing this is because when I was a very lost person, we all get those times in our yeah. life, but for me it was around I think 2016 I was having coffee with lots of really fascinating people like mm. yourself and I thought um, like – I can keep having these coffees and keeping it to myself, but these conversations are too good not to share. Yeah. So I wanted to create something that others could experience. Um, you won't have time to have coffee with the, the five to 10,000 people that might listen to this, um, but they will get to know you a little bit through this and maybe connect with you. Not all of them. No. That, that's too many. <laughs> but, you know, to, to be able to share that um, experience is really like um, – I get the double gratification mm. of being able to be stimulated and learn from you, but then to share that with others who can also maybe take something away from it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm enjoying this cup of coffee. Oh, good. Coffee is also inspirational <laughs> and to <laughs> yeah, be together. Is. Oh, my goodness. Of course. I'm just going like <laughs> another sip of coffee. Yep. Another brain cell yeah, awakened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think also I, I actually get inspiration from being in nature I think is really important. Yeah. Um, and I think just the simple things, I like to focus on what the simple things are these days. So one of the simplest things we have as people is just um, communication, conversations and coffee. Yeah. Um, and then there's, you know, going for walks with your dog and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. It's great. And, yeah, just, just the little things. I'm really enjoying the whole um, dog puppy situation around us. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You haven't seen um, Cyril's up on the wall here, like all, all the dogs oh. of the people who are prominent in the space and uh, just people who bring their dogs in a bit um, have photos up on the wall. So I'll show you Cyril after we wrap up. Oh, amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for coming in and sharing some time, experience and knowledge with me. Thank you, Mike, for having me. It was really, I really appreciate this time. Yeah, it's been lovely. And I did have one thing that I wanted to ask before we finish and that is um, when you are sort of grappling with decisions around career and what to do Mm. um, at the early stages, you know, do you have mentors that you go to or coaches or a community? Yeah. Um, I have friends who are collaborators and that I really look up to and I trust there um, that we, ha- we have a shared, I want to say aesthetic, but also voice that like the same kind of world that we come from, um, that I really value their feedback and um, direction. Um, I'm still in touch with my professors from university. They also play a, a really important part in 
providing that kind of guidance or what to look into or the new trends and um, all those kind of varying, um, like where the industry is going, basically. And shows play a lot of influence into that. So I go to see theater shows with people who I admire and respect and see what where they're, where they're directing their career as well um, and how they're putting on shows and the work that they're making. And it's also that kind of mentory in a way. It's kind of like, oh, because I'm sitting there and I wish that I can just enjoy a theater show as an audience member, but I'm breaking down every single decision <laughs> that's <laughs> happened in there. <laughs> and then I have a conversation with them. I'm like, I saw their show and I had some questions and I would, yeah, go out for coffee. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. How can people connect with you and learn a bit more about your work? Um, Instagram, I found, was the like easiest thing Um informal but also that's where kind of my portfolio goes and where pe- most people in the past have approached me um so that's stephanie Rajar. i'll put that in the show notes thank you um email as well um has just hit me up and we'll go out for a conversation for a cup of coffee and yeah fantastic and you've got a great website too so i'll put yeah. that in the show notes also thank you linkedin yep. Also a replica of my uh, website. So. Everywhere. You're everywhere. <laughs> on, all, on all platforms and in person. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. It's Thank been a pleasure. You. Thank you, Mike. Pleasure's all mine. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player and why not share it with a friend or two? If you want more from your Humans of Purpose experience, become a Humans of Purpose member today through our new platform, Supercast. All you need to do is hit the link in our show notes. If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products, or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.